Thank you, Pastor Jeff, and uh, good morning, everyone. It is a privilege to be here at Grace Baptist and to share the Word of God. We're in Romans 13 this morning. You'll turn there. My wife, Linda, is with me, and we enjoy coming to the island because our son, Nathan, and his wife, Shirley, uh, are here, and our granddaughter, Catherine, and our grandson, Benjamin. And this week has been uh, Kate's uh, birthday week, and so we've had lots of celebration going on. Uh, she turned 10, she's a decade old, double digits, and uh, so we're happy for her. My job at the birthday parties is to butter the noses. And so uh, we all, I always try to get that done, and if you look at Kate this morning, her nose is shining, you'll be able to see that. And... Uh, uh, my grandson, Ben, is seven, and uh, this week as I was uh, studying at, at their home, he came up to me and said, Grandpa, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm getting my message ready for Sunday and working on my sermon. I said, I'm going to be speaking at your church, and you may have to sit there and listen to me. And Ben, if you're there, I think he went down, didn't he? If you're there, oh, he's right there. I said, if you're there and I see you and I look at you and point my finger and say, Benjamin Beebe, are you listening? Uh, What are you going to do? What are you going to say? And quick as a wink, he said to me, I'm going to say, blah, 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 (laughs) blah. So this morning we were up early, him and I, and uh, we were teasing one another, and I said, you're not really going to say that, are you? And he said, no, but I'm going to think it in my head, he said. (laughs) And so that makes me wonder as a preacher how many others are actually thinking that in their head. Fortunately, I'm not able to read your mind. Romans chapter 13 is about authority and power. You heard that last week from... Pastor Jeff. The first seven verses, which he covered, are God and government, uh, the power and authority of God and government upon the societies of the earth. And uh, the last part of this chapter has two parts to it. There's two ideas. It's the power and authority of love and the power and authority of light. For there's something more There's something greater than the influence of government and the power of government. I believe it's the power of love and light in the life of a Christian and in the ministry of the church. I think the church and the Christian can actually have a greater eternal impact on this earth than governments can. And if you and I are willing to show the love of God and to shine our light, in this dark world, I believe God can use us to have a great impact uh, upon people's lives. So let's look at the power of love. We'll read in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment 
of the law. That's the power of love, the power of love in human lives and in our society. Uh, love is mentioned five times in those verses, and law, or the commandments in the law, is, is mentioned uh, four times. God, in His love, gave us the law, the commandments, to reveal Himself, to reveal His holiness, to reveal His righteousness and His glory. God in love gave man the law. God in love also gave man the law to guide man, to guide us, to guide our conscience, to guide our morality, and to guide our actions in life. God has given the law to guide us. However, we all have a problem. We do not guide very well. There is lawlessness in our hearts, in our nature. And because we all sin, we come short of the glory of God and the standard of His holy law. None of us are righteous. None of us understand. None of us do good. And so we are not able to keep God's holy law that He has set before us. But God had a solution. And the solution was sending His Son, Jesus Christ. His solution was redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on Calvary. God's solution is salvation and a new life and a new nature and a new heart and a new mind. God's solution is giving us the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to fill us with God's love. The Holy Spirit comes into our life at salvation. And according to Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the Holy Spirit pours into us the love of God. It is shed abroad in our heart. And it is through that divine love that God pours into us, that heavenly love, that godly love, that spiritual love, that we are able to obey God and to honor God and to seek to keep his commandments. Our greatest debt and obligation is now to God and to man, to God and his love and to man and his needs. It says in verse 8, Owe no man anything except to love. That's our debt. That's our obligation. We're all debtors. Romans chapter 1 and verse 14 Paul said, I am a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians. We are debtors to all men. We who have received the love of God and who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior and have the gift of eternal life, we owe God and we owe our fellow man to show God's love that they too might come to know Christ as their Savior. Matthew 22, the Pharisee lawyer came to Jesus and he said, which is the greatest of the commandments? And you know what Jesus answered. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's really what he's saying here again, because love fulfills the law. Twice in those verses we read, 
Love fulfills the law. It is God's love poured into our hearts that enables us to please God and to honor Him and to keep His law. As long as we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God, we no longer have to follow a list of rules and do's and don'ts and commandments, but we follow the Holy Spirit and the love that the Holy Spirit puts in our heart enables us to honor God and to fulfill God's law. <clears throat> the story's told about a woman who was married to a man, and he was very um, controlling. Uh, he had certain things he wanted done, certain way at a certain time. Every morning when he left for work, he left a list on the kitchen counter. The list was of all the things she had to do that day before he came home. And it had to be done this way. And it had to be done by this time. Well, all day long, she lived in fear, looked at the list again and again and again, tried to get the list fulfilled and fixed and done before he came. And when he came home, he would go straight to the list and see if it was checked off and look around to see if those tasks were done. Well, one day he died, mysteriously. <laughs> and she married again over time. And she and her husband, he was so good and kind and sweet and caring and loving and and she loved him with all her heart. And they had a great relationship. One day, as she was doing her household duties, she suddenly realized, hey, I'm, I'm doing all the things that... I'm doing all the things that the list used to tell me to do. But now I'm doing it because I have such love for my husband. I appreciate him so much. And now I'm doing the very same thing because I'm doing it from... Love, doing it by love. And so God wants us to honor him by the love we have for him and the love we have for others. Now, there's three aspects of love here. Let me try to get them across to you. Uh, you, you need to love, learn to love yourself, learn to love one another, and need to learn to love your neighbor. All three are in these verses, if you notice them. Let's look, first of all. Learn to love yourself. That's in verse 9, where it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, or as you would love yourself. We don't hear much about this. In fact, in my 40-some years of preaching, I've never preached on this, and I hope I'm getting it right. Pastor Jeff will let me know, I'm sure, or let you know next week if I'm getting this right. But over and over again in the Bible, it talks about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. It's in Leviticus 19, 18 and verse 34. It's in Matthew 22, 39 and Matthew 19, 19. It's in Mark 12, 31 and Luke 10, 27. It's in James 2, 8 and Galatians 5, 14. And it's here that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you don't learn to love yourself, you will fail to properly love others. Now, what do I mean by loving yourself? That's what, that's what really, uh, we're not used to hearing that, are we? 
what's it mean by loving yourself? Well, here's, let me tell you what it's not. It's not loving your sinful self. It's not loving your old sinful being or nature. It's not loving your acts of sin and wickedness. It's not some kind of a worldly psychobabble where you accept yourself as you are, you see your own perfections, you follow your own self-help advice, you put yourself first at all times, you do what you want to do, only you can criticize you, you treat yourself to whatever you want, you see yourself as the most important person in the world, you embrace your dark side, you accept and embrace your feelings, you forgive yourself and you do not judge yourself, you focus mostly on yourself. It's what's called the religion of me. And the world is full of the religion of me. That's not what the Bible is teaching. So let me tell you what God means by loving yourself or loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving yourself, biblically, is to recognize that you are a created being, a created person in the image of Almighty God for the purpose of God and His glory. That you are a special creation. You have special God-given abilities. You have been given a holy calling. You are now a special person in Christ, and you have a special position in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have value to God. You have an inheritance in Christ. You are the temple of the living God. You are a child of God and a co-heir of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to love yourself. You are the person that God created and you should love the fact that you're that person and you have the breath of God's life within you. That's what it means. To hate your true God-given self is a sin, a wicked sin. But Satan, the destroyer, hates you and wants to destroy you and would like to get you so confused that you begin to hate your God-given self, and you must not allow that to happen. Learn to appreciate God and that God made you. Well, here's the second thing about love in, this, uh, in this, uh, these verses. We are to learn to love one another. You'll notice it in verse 8 twice. To love one another. Fifteen times in the New Testament, love one another. Love one another. In fact, there are 29 one another's in the New Testament. Care for one another. Pray for one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. Confess your faults one to another. Comfort one another. It's, it's a wonderful theme. Basically, it's referring to believers. To love one another is primarily referring to believers. And so, in regard to love... We are to love our brothers and sisters and learn to love our brothers and sisters for the glory of God. 
it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that you have to like your brother or sister. We don't have to like each other. We don't have to like each other's personalities, each other's quirks. We don't have to like each other's appearance. We don't have to like each other and all the different character and attributes and activities of each other. But we must love each other. If you live close to me, you might not like me one bit. But you have to love me. Yes, you do. <clears throat> and love is a choice. Love is first a choice, not a feeling. You say, well, I'm going to, I'll, I'll love her once I start feeling good and fuzzy about her or him. Well, you may never feel good and fuzzy about him or her. But you must love them because love is a decision that acts toward that person in kindness and goodness and gentleness. And as it says later on here, do no harm. Do no harm to that person. You might remember this old ditty. Living above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But living below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. And yet that's our calling to fulfill God's law we must love ourselves. We must love one another. And the third one mentioned here is learning to love your neighbor. And that's usually referring to strangers. That's usually referring to those who are unbelievers. Not in all cases, but mostly if you go through the scriptures. It begins in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 and 34, and that you are to love the stranger who dwells among you, uh, whether remnants of the Canaanites or prisoners of war, or foreign travelers, or indentured servants, you are to learn to love uh, the strangers, those who are your neighbors. There was a lawyer who came to Jesus, and he asked him, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told that amazing story of the Good Samaritan, remember? And a man who had been beaten and robbed and left in a ditch, bleeding and dying. And along came a priest. And then along came a Levite. And they both passed by on the other side. They both were busy. They were on a journey. They had a schedule. They had things to do. They were in a hurry. It didn't seem safe. So they just passed on by. And then along came a Samaritan who ordinarily the Samaritans and Jews did not have much time for each other at all. The Samaritan came along and he observed it. He saw it. He saw the dying man and he cared and he stopped. He took the time. He gave the, guy, the dying man oil and wine. He shared with him. He helped with him. He cared for him. He met his needs. He took him with them. They went to an inn. He covered the expenses. He said, I'll come back again. He went out of his way and took his time to reach out to a dying person. And Jesus said, now that's loving your neighbor. The problem 
we have today is that we're so busy. We have so many schedules, so many things to do, so many me things that we don't have much time for our neighbors to love them and show them Christ. My wife and I moved back to Nova Scotia. We live in Wentworth, Nova Scotia. We moved back five years ago, I guess. And one of our goals has been to have an impact upon our neighbors. Uh, I've never preached to any of my neighbors. Um, but we've tried to show God's love and shine God's light. And just about two weeks ago, one of our neighbors, another one of our neighbors actually, came to know Christ as their Savior. Uh, he's 102 years of age. Um, interesting man, sharp as a tack. Drove his motorcycle until he was 100. <clears throat> uh, his, his partner's 92. She drove with him just up until a few years ago, just up until five or six years ago. <clears throat> he still drives his car, whether he should or not. <laughs> but his mind's bright. And we've been trying to love them, trying to shine Christ to them, trying to speak to them, give them literature. And two years ago, he had no interest in God. He was almost 100. Can you imagine being almost 100 and having no interest in God? And just two weeks ago, it all changed. And I was with him to hear him confess Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. What a privilege. It didn't take a church ministry. It didn't take a church preacher. It didn't take a service. It just took my wife and I praying, loving, helping, shining. And then it happened, just like that. Just so amazing that God moved in and broke through for the glory of God. And that's what it means to have an influence on the earth for the church and for the Christian and for you. <clears throat> All you need to do is let the Holy Spirit fill your heart with God's love and then let it bubble over on to others and love them and care for them, get involved with them and connect with them and shine the light of God's truth. That's the last part of this, um, which is verse 11 to verse 14. Look at it with me quickly. For, and, and, do this knowing, and do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in envy, strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The, the picture here, if I can just kind of summarize it for you quickly, the picture here is of a Christian soldier awaking in the night and throwing off the clothes of darkness, the clothes of night. And putting on the clothes of day, the armor of light. And going forth in the darkness to shine for Christ because the dawn is almost here. The, the call here is for the Christian to awake. 
to arise from their sleepiness. The call here is not to awake at sunrise or after sunrise. The call here is to awake before sunrise. Awake in the darkness and shine for Christ because the sunrise is coming very soon. And my friend, we've been in a long, dark night of sin and rebellion since Adam. But I believe that certainly the coming of Christ is drawing near. Our redemption is drawing nigh. And he will rise, the sun of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And it's not at that great day of Christ's coming that we're to, to wake up and become spiritually alive and alert. We're to wake up before that day and in the darkness, what they call the darkest part of the night before the dawn. We're to shine in that darkness. We're to show God's love in that darkness. And we're to do everything we can by the power of God to impact our generation and our society before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to awake to righteousness in a dark world and we need to put on the armor of light. It says in the last verse, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting on the armor of God and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and putting on the new man is all the same thing. It is claiming, confessing, and recognizing Christ. All that he is, all that he has done, all that he has given us, and claiming it as my covering. It is using his truth to shine in a dark world before the Lord Jesus Christ shall come. And I don't know about you, but I think Christianity needs a revival, an awakening in Canada and North America. And, and if that's true, then I need it and you need it. What's it going to take to wake us? Will it be another pandem pandemic that's even more disastrous? Will it be a third world war? Is it going to be civil strife and chaos and civil war? I don't know. But how we pray that God's church will come awake and rise and prepare to shine for Christ before the dawning of that new day. And I like the way it ends here in verse 14. It talks about making no provision for the flesh to fulfill, fulfill its lusts. Let me just say this uh, in closing. The idea here is making no provision, is make no plans, <clears throat> make no forethought, give no foresight, do not have advanced knowledge of sin or evil. Don't let it develop in your mind because that's where sin begins. Sin begins in your mind and filters down to your emotions and then acts out in your body. Do not let it start in your mind. An old Puritan writer, Thomas Manton, wrote this. Every corruption 
has a voice. And you've heard the voice. The thought comes to your mind. And if you take that thought, sin is conceived. And it will work through your emotions and your desires and work out in your body. There's, you can have the most evil thought come into your mind as long as it goes through your mind. That's not sin. It's when that thought comes and you reach out and you grasp it. That's where conception, James chapter 1, talks about verse 14 and 15. When we are drawn away in our desires and enticed, then when sin has, then when desire has conceived, it brings forth sin, gives birth to sin. That's where you have to stop it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.5 that we need to cast down vain imaginations, cast down vain speculations, cast down vain arguments, cast down vain thoughts, and bring every thought into the obedience of Christ or to Christ. And so the Christian warrior, the Christian soldier who arises in the darkness of night to shine for Christ until he comes is to keep his mind clear and his life clean and shine and show God's love till Christ comes. So, I conclude with this. The power of love and the power of light through God's people has far more impact than the power of government. What you can do in your home and in your neighborhood, among your friends and in your family and in your community is very effective as you show God's love and shine God's light. Dear Lord, awake us and help us to show and shine. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.